Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis, and this is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. I'm so glad you could be a part of this today. A couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to talk to author Andrew Morton. I had not talked to him in such a long time. You probably remember one of his books, Diana, her true story in her own words. Remember that phenomenal book? So Andrew is back. He's got this great book about two really very well-known sisters. Uh, The book is called Elizabeth and Margaret. Yes, Elizabeth and Margaret, the intimate world of the Windsor sisters. So after interviewing him on the TV side and realizing it's been a long time since we last spoke, I invited him to do a podcast. So here we go. How long did it take you to put that book together? Well, it's like saying, how long did it take a brain surgeon to do an operation? It, t- it takes a long time. I mean, there's, there's bits and pieces of information which I picked up 20 years ago um, incorporated in the book. But it, by and large, it's about a year and a half. And so today, while we're talking, it's the the Queen's 95th birthday. Yes, indeed. So happy, many happy returns, Mom. Yeah. And what are your reflections on? uh, Well, I guess because, you know, she just lost her husband of 73 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. That picture of her sitting in the pew uh, by herself, uh, that was very telling. This is her second COVID birthday. Um, What do you how how do you think she's going to spend this day today? Well, she's taken. She's uh, gone for a drive around uh, Windsor Great Park. She's seen her new dogs, um, Mick and Fergus. Uh, one's a, a, a corgi, one's a doggy. I think mm-hmm. a gift from Prince Andrew, as, as I understand it. Um, so it's it's low key. There's no picture being uh, uh, publicised. Um, she's just, she sends a message out um, thanking the public for her messages of support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I've been struck by how many people, both in America, Canada and Britain, have been have been very moved by that picture of the Queen sitting on her own in the, in the chap- St George's Chapel on last Saturday when Prince Philip was uh, laid to rest. Um, I think it's, it's touched many people and they've really seen the Queen as a, a vulnerable human being as opposed to this indomitable figure that just goes on forever. Mm-hmm. That's so true. It's so true. It was a beautiful service that was supposed to be 800 strong and it turned out to be 30. And uh, my understanding from, you know, listening to what the uh, uh, people were saying, covering uh, the funeral is that he very much planned it and she okayed it. That's how organized his family is. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been 18 years in the planning. You know, he, he tinkered about with his Land Rover. And he, he wasn't the only one, by the way. It's a, it is a family tradition, this. Lord Louis Mountbatten had yeah. everything laid down and logged, uh, the kind of music, the music he wanted to play, where he wanted his, his decorations and everything. He was choreographed. Same for Prince Philip. I mean, these are Navy men. They're, they're like everything mm-hmm. laid down, logged and ship shape and Bristol fashion and move on. That's so true. So this new book, uh, Elizabeth and Margaret, The Intimate World of the Windsor Sisters, you know, it's amazing to me because you just said at the start of this that you get little pieces of information and you put it away. But then you get all these pieces of information, Andrew Morton, and you got to assemble them. And so there has to be a focus. There has to be the focus of the sisterhood. And and there's also, I'm sure, so many, and I've seen so many documentaries about them, not even talking about the crown, about their relationship. 
What was most surprising about the relationship between Elizabeth and Margaret to you? Well, the, the, the fact that it had many seasons, that it went from um, uh, great, uh, the, 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 the queen looking after, um, or the princess looking after her younger sister, mm-hmm. to the, the couple relying on one another during the Second World War, to the to the to uh, a certain distance uh, between them um, during uh, the period that Margaret was, um, her marriage was breaking up. And, and in the end, loyalty paid off because for the for for the last years of Margaret's life, she she clearly and devotedly devoted her life to the Queen, and um, she took on all the you know all the kind of engagements that the, you know the Queen wouldn't be seen dead at. You know, she says she's I think she said she'd met every town clerk in Britain, and all town clerks are exactly the same. So <laughs> she she took on the number two role. Um, enthusiastically mm-hmm. and I think as well her her, the, her life was not a bed of roses it was not a, a particularly happy life Mm-mm. and I think that the queen herself learned um to forgive and forget with with Margaret over the years because they did have at times as Margaret herself said we have rows but we do not have riffs so they 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 they, I mean, there's one one little story in the book about she walked that Margaret walked in to a meeting that the Queen was having with the Prime Minister um, Harold Macmillan and said, mm-hmm. "If you weren't the Queen, nobody would talk to you," and then stalked out. <laughs> so, oh my God! Macmillan Mac- thought, "Well, this isn't something I should be what, <laughs> seeing. This is definitely a family um, uh, uh, family row." So don't think that their relationship was all sweetness and light wow. I mean there were it was all but beneath it all there was love and there was loyalty there mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what comes through and I think that you know Margaret was very much speaking what the Queen would like to say but couldn't say because of her position as head of state and that was particularly true during the the, the funeral week where Margaret felt that um, Diana should have a, a private family funeral at run by the Spencers, and of course, as we all know now, the outpouring of grief was such that it became a ceremonial uh, funeral, um, much against Margaret's wishes. Now, Margaret, Margaret, uh, from my understanding, was fairly good to Diana, and then kind of kind of distance herself from her after a while. Yeah. Uh, tell tell us about that. Well, Margaret was, uh, and Diana were, were great buddies. From, uh, at the start, uh, Margaret put her up, put a wing around her, as it were, and, mm-hmm. you know, showed her the ropes, took her to engagements. Um, they went to the theatre together, went to the ballet together. Diana herself was keen on ballet. She wanted to be a ballet dancer, grew too tall. Uh, Margaret was patron of the Royal Ballet, so they, they had a natural connection there. And even after uh, Charles and Diana split, Margaret wrote to Prince Charles and said, I'm still going to see uh, your estranged wife. But it was only when Diana went on television and spoke to Martin Bashir for her famous Panorama interview in 1995 that the shutters came down. Because when Diana said that she wanted to be Queen of Hearts, uh, Margaret felt that was a, 
uh, a jab at her sister, the, the queen. Right. And when she said that she want, that she didn't think that Prince Charles was fit to be king, that was a, a jab too far at the future king. So the shutters came down, and it was it was really ferocious that uh, Margaret uh, wouldn't have anything more to do with her. And when she died, I remember I was commentating on the funeral for ABC. I was with uh, Peter. Um, Jennings and Barbara yes. Walters mm -hmm. and we were on this um, promontory overlooking Westminster Abbey kind of a shaky um, promontory and we could see down the mile and I, and I nudged Peter and I said look you watch Princess Margaret and as the funeral cortege went by Buckingham Palace um, the, the Queen and the rest of the royal family bowed in in in, in, in abeyance to Diana, mm -hmm. uh, Margaret, her head barely moved. Um, wow. she, she looked like she was chasing a wasp or something. Um, and so it was sad because there, theirs was a, was a solid relationship. Diana said to me, I, I adore Margot. I, I love her to bits. And um, she helped her in those difficult early few months mm -hmm. and not say years of, of getting uh, acclimatized to the royal family. Yeah. And yeah. And that's such an interesting relationship. And now we can see family first. That's why that relationship didn't last. And it makes me think about when Diana, after she left the Royal family, as it were, did she reach out to Margot and say, Hey, I, I, I'm, you know, or would that, that was just it. There was just oh, no communication. In actual fact, what happened as well was that Margaret burnt all the letters that oh. Diana had written to the Queen Mother. I mean, I mean, sacksfuls of them, and uh, even even the Queen Mother's official biographer, who's you know, William Shawcross, said that it was most unfortunate. I mean, that's a diplomatic word, isn't it? That, yeah. Uh, that Margaret had done that. I mean, this is this is all information lost to history now, and um, it, it, it makes our understanding of those years all the more difficult. So that makes me go to this question about all your research and now what you told me on my show the couple of weeks ago that you're going to be a consultant on the crown. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? What it, it, we, we were joking around who's going to play you. And I've still been thinking <laughs> about that. I'm still trying to think who is it? That's going to play Andrew Morton when he's interviewing uh, Diana, because that certainly is going to come up in the next uh, season. So, uh, yeah, what, how, how's that going to play out? And what, how do you, are you on set? What happens? Well, no, it's, it's nothing as glamorous as that. I mean, what I do is like this, have a Zoom call uh, with half a dozen highly talented very intelligent script writers mm -hmm. who have got and 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 they will come out with questions as arcane as can you remember the color of your your daughter's bedroom wallpaper and can you remember the month this happened such and such an event happened wow wow so that so they do dive deep into this subject and they and 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 it's these little details that you can bring a story to life. And that's the way, it's this kind of pointillism, as it were, of, of little factoids, little bits and pieces of information that give an authenticity to the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have no idea what uh, Peter Morgan, who's the show showrunner, is going to write. And um, 
uh, about either you know the making of the Diana book or the making of the Bashir program. The burn, I'm sure, the burning down of Windsor Castle is going to be it's a seminal moment in the Queen's reign. And um, who did uh, who did she turn to? Well, her sister and her mother. Yeah, uh, exactly. She went to Royal Lodge, and they just mourned the the loss of this home that had been there. I mean, we all think of Windsor Castle as being this great big pile of bricks that's been around since Norman uh, the Conqueror, but it's it was it has been the Queen's home for for many many years, especially during the Second World War. Yeah. And as I understand it, as it's been discussed at the minute, it's going to be a home for the future. And mm-hmm. Buckingham Palace is just going to be used as, uh, you know, for ceremonial occasions and as a bit of a glorified office block. And and also for people to come in and tour, right? Which is always yeah. a great thing to do. And and also these days to, to go for a picnic in the in the in the garden. So you know, you I've can. Been, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, wow. Just, it's been oversubscribed by a million times, but um, yeah, people. Yeah. But I, I think this is an opportunity actually to rethink the use of Buckingham Palace. I've always felt that it was it, it's kind of like the dead centre at the heart of the, the nation. Um, it does come alive when there's a, a trooping of the colour and people. Mm-hmm. And there's a wedding. It's all marvellous and great. But for for much of the time, it's it's kind of a solitary uh, emblem of of our nation, and. You know, it'd be great for it to be the people's palace, wouldn't it? With with uh, Sonny Lumiere and concerts and um, uh, as they do with some of the buildings, the former royal buildings in Paris. How about making it into a hotel? Nah. Ow, Andrew, I, I just want to have one night at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> just to say that I could do that. Just to say, you know, nothing is off the table when we talk about Elizabeth and uh, Margaret. I mean, the research that you do is always so thorough. Uh, going back to the crown for a moment, we talked about, you know, they do cover her uh, depression, her struggles with drug and drugs and alcohol. Um, and, but, you know, and the rouse, not the riffs, as you mentioned with her sister, that must've been very difficult for Elizabeth while running the country and having this decorum and not being able to say much about it, getting those newspapers that we always see in the crown when she's having her, her breakfast in the morning <laughs> going, and then Philip going, have you seen this? You know, <laughs> and I can only imagine like, you know, how much she is protected, but how much sometimes I would guess, maybe you can confirm this, how much is out in the world and she gets it firsthand via the newspapers. Well, I mean, the, the, they get a digest of newspapers every day, and that's so they can just go through it. But the, in, in response to what you were saying there about Philip doing this with a with a newspaper, yeah. it always makes me smile when on the Sunday that a newspaper, a tabloid newspaper, published pictures of the Duchess of York, Fergie, having oh. her toes sucked by her financial advisor, by the side of a swimming pool in the south of France, whilst her two daughters, Princesses Eugenie and Beatrice, kind of looked on or played in the water. And this was a paparazzi who'd stalked her, hidden in the bushes for days. And I'm sure that the financial advisor was explaining to Fergie that what came, went up, must also come down eventually. (laughs) Uh, But Fergie describes what it was like at Balmoral. She happened to be at Balmoral that weekend to discuss separation separation arrangements for her and Prince Andrew. 
And the Queen was furious. And uh, Fergie walked into the breakfast room and they were all there reading the newspaper. You could just imagine the scene. It was a hide behind the sofa moment. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I mean, she stood there and everybody's reading the same newspaper with her in a bikini, having her toes sucked. And Prince Philip wouldn't speak to her. Um, Margaret, who became something of a Praetorian guard to the Queen, would say things that, that the Queen wouldn't say. Um, wrote her a coruscating letter saying that, you know, you've let down the whole of the family. Uh, Fergie sent her a bouquet of flowers as a kind of a sorry uh, peace offering, and she just threw it away. She never spoke to her again. And, si and similarly, Philip noticed that he was not at, that she was not at, that Fergie was not at the funeral, uh, but her, her daughters were. I saw that, yeah. And um, so that so yes, I mean, the, sometimes these things do just. I mean, they don't know everything. The royal family. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. again, a few weeks before that, in 1992, the Squidgy tapes were released um, with Dinah talking mournfully about her life inside the um, royal family to a secret admirer. And again, that was very embarrassing for her because again, she was at Balmoral. Right. Had to face the family at she breakfast. Had to face the yeah. At breakfast. Wow. I mean, just yeah. I mean the. the uh, and and Prince Philip always used to insist on a silent breakfast. It was just he would not speak. He would just focus on the newspapers and 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 that was he wouldn't even say good morning. That so it was a fairly chilly start to the day. And you know, I think about unless it's not true, but when um, Margaret was dating that young gardener, yeah, you know, and they spotted them on the beach. That's that's you know that was quite astounding for everybody in Britain. There she goes. There goes Margaret. So she couldn't relate to, like, I know that she was protecting her sister, but at the same time, well, that happened well, to you absolutely. too. Absolutely. I mean, as, as Fergie herself said, she looked around the room and thought, well, there, but for the grace of God, go the lot of you. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Margaret was with Roddy Llewellyn, um, an out of work right. gardener, um, who's now a celebrity gardener, by the way, but uh, and happily married with children. But at the time, it was the days before Toy Boy and Cougar became mm -hmm. commonplace. Mm -hmm. And she was what thirteen years his senior. Mm -hmm. And there, and and there's something about being in the Caribbean on a beautiful day by a, a beautiful beach that 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 is catnip to the British public stuck in stuck in in the country in the wet and the wintry weather and the dark nights mm -hmm. and there's a there's a you know there's a lot of green eye related right to it. right but but uh, yeah when when Roddy and and Margaret were photographed and he was there in his Union Jack uh, swimming trunks yes. or, or what Prince Charles would call his bud budgie smugglers um <laughs> Uh, I haven't heard that for a it, long time, it, but yeah. It, it created a huge uh, stramash in, back in Britain. And in fact, members of parliament said that she should be stripped of the civil list and, and taken off the civil list and be made a private citizen. And the, the prime minister at the time, Jim Callaghan, raised that issue with the Queen, who very quickly kicked that idea into the long grass because mm -hmm. she realised as well that for all her foibles, as it were, um, Margaret was a stalwart supporter and worked hard for 
her. But this is a, this is one of the things that I've always come to realize about the royal family. Okay. Once a narrative is set for you, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to break free of that narrative. So for Margaret, the narrative was playgirl, famous grouse, smoking, younger man, living large, uh, living off the state, um, not contributing anything, when in actual fact, he was, she was quite a religious person, very religious person, um, working for, on behalf of the Queen, fulfilling and en- you know, endless, you know, dreary uh, mm-hmm. uh, public engagements. But that was never mentioned. But, so, but once you're characterised in that right. narrative, you, you, it's very difficult to break free. What uh, two questions about real estate there? Whatever happened to that place that Margaret owned? Did, did that sold Le Jolizot. Her her son sold it. Um, okay. David Lindley sold it to. I think it's been restored at the minute. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a beautiful place. And then what happened to Fergie and Andrew's place in Barbados? That beautiful house that was on the beach at Crane Beach. You remember? Did you hear about that story? You've, yeah. you've got me on that one, actually. Okay. There's a house on Crane Beach. There's Crane Beach, the resort. And yeah. right at the end, unless they were telling us not the truth, but we had a tour. And we I, I used to broadcast there once a year with the radio station. And they said, that's a gift from the Queen for Fergie and Andrew. And there's there's a bunch of people there. We'll have to do some research on this. Right, Andrew? And they said, um, they said the, there's staff there, but they never, ever ended up going there. And the one time I interviewed Fergie after she and Andrew had split, I meant to ask her that question. And by the way, I found her so much fun, Fergie, just very approachable um, that, you know, that they had this place. I mean, I'm sure they don't even know half the places that they own, or maybe they do, but they just don't go visit them. That's my guess about that. I don't know. <laughs> Fergie and I once shared the same publisher, St. Martin's in um, in New York. And I, I was seeing the publisher just after she was there. And she was horrified that she'd had to get a yellow taxi. <laughs> the first time in her life, or first time in donkey's years, she'd had to get a taxi, a yellow cab. Oh. She didn't have a, an official car. Um, oh, gosh, it must have been hard, uh, you know, after, I mean, with all the soap opera-like uh, actions and whatever. Her daughters, I mean, are close to the the Harry and, and William, it sounds like. At least it looks that way. We what we think we see is maybe not the case, but um, but that she that those two girls have continued on, and even though they're not on the payroll, they're very much there and invited to, for example, the funeral. But they're very much starting their own family and their own lives, and so they 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 for all the stuff that their father's going through right now, that's another issue in itself, mm-hmm. Andrew, about Prince Andrew. But they seem to be, you know, got good heads on them. Big hats and good heads on them. Yeah, odd hats and and good and solid hat and yeah. solid heads. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, Fergie, um, you know, is 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 a is a dish best served not necessarily cold, but without all the trimmings. Um, I've got my favorite one of my favorite cartoons that which I've got in in my study in London okay. is. It is showing Fergie looking uh, looking very quizzically at a five pound note, and the thought the thought bubble comes out of her head. I'm sure I came out with fifty grand this morning, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's the fact <laughs> Fergie and money are a bit like the Queen Mother and money. And as I talk about in the book, the fact that the, the Queen Mother would um, 
would spend a fortune and all the queen and who had to bail her out would say was oh mummy must you <laughs> must you go that way well you know i i look at this whole family dynamic and i and i so you know i look at queen elizabeth and i think what what a an amazing human being she is uh for all the stuff that she's had to go through and her 95 years Margaret, we know a little bit more about the, through your through your book, and also through what we see on television. More, more and more documentaries. What, why, Andrew? Do we have such a fascination still to this day with the royal family? Why do you think that is? Well, and in fact, the fascination is deeper and greater now, and more widespread than it's ever been. I mean, yeah. they are one hell of a brand. I mean, and. It's a because it's a continuing and evolving story involving people that you can relate to, but are also distant. And I think that 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 combination of of uh, ersatz glamour, but also approachability, is part of their their their, their interest. But also, there's, there's so much going on. I mean, I've never known a year since since 1992 where there's been so many mm-hmm. riffs. Rouse, all genuine. I mean, it's it's not like, and it always make it makes me smile when people say, "Oh, it's the paparazzi's. They're, they're the ones who are responsible for it." No, it's the royal family themselves who are responsible for for some of, for many of these stories. You know, we talk about the the interview, the diner interview. Then we talk about the the um, the, the the most recent one with Oprah. I mean. This is the royal family themselves talking about their lives and their. Uh, problems and their issues so it's it's kind of like a national uh, um these days an international conversation so why so what did you think as an interviewer and, and knowing diana seeing harry and megan have that interview with me with uh, oprah what did you think of that well i thought i thought that they were telling their their truth but that mm-hmm. but their truth isn't necessarily the truth mm-hmm. and i had that issue with diana herself when we came up with a title for for her biography, Diana, Her True Story. She wanted it to be called Diana, The True Story. Mm-hmm. And I argued, well, no, you can't call it The True Story because it's not The True Story. It's yours. It's from your perspective. And and so she eventually agreed to that. And we even mocked up a, 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 a jacket cover showing Diana, The True Story, but she realised that that was the, the wrong title. And it's the same with the Oprah interview. You know, it's their it's their truth. It's not necessarily the truth. I mean, you know, the fact is that three days before the wedding, they were not married by the Archbishop of Canterbury. A simple yeah. fact. That's just wrong. And if and so it does make one sceptical that if they, they can't get the wedding right, what else have they got wrong in their in their various prognostications? Well, here's what I found questionable. But you're going to date. Prince Harry, and you don't look him up, you know, to get some background on who he is and, you know, the state that she has with him. I was surprised by that statement that everybody searches and Googles and checks things out. Yeah, And also, I mean, that's what Megan used to do. I mean, when I wrote her biography, it was interesting that she she did a lot of research for her, for her blog, The the Tig. Yeah. And, um, uh, she was, and she was always known on the set of suits for being camera ready, for knowing her lines, for having mm-hmm. done the research. So, why on the biggest stage of her life she wouldn't do two a, a minute's research 
is no. seems to me somewhat disingenuous. Yeah, I felt that way too. Okay, so now I I, I could talk to you forever. I, I like I'm going to say if if anyone says to me on the morning show who would be your number one go to dinner guest, it would be you, Andrew Morton. Because you have so <laughs> you have so many stories to tell, and you know you're you're the real deal. Uh, very quickly, because you know uh, you have to get on with your Dan. I know you're doing a great promo tour for this great book. It's such a well researched book, such great reading. What now? Like I know Andrew at this time of this podcast stayed a little longer to celebrate the birthday. So at least that's what we're told for his grandmother. Uh, what now with the royal family? What will happen? Well, they've got to do some quite hard thinking. I mean, yeah, the the, the family is reduced. So you've got three senior members have now uh, stepped back: Andrew, Meghan, and, and Harry. Uh, you've got fewer. Uh, you you're at that interregnum now, uh, where the the young bloods are still got to go to school, and, and you're waiting twenty years for that. Um, this is the Georges and Charlottes and and Louis right. of the world, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and any others who've come forward. Um, but I think they've got to really think, how do they best use their resources? And I, th- I think you're going to see the promotion of Prince Edward and uh, Sophie. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie has proved herself uh, a very um, capable member of the royal family and also a, a good companion to the to the Queen. Um, the, the, she has an interest in military history. Um, she's been to northern France to go wow. to the to the places there, to all the battlegrounds, and she's discussed that at length with with the Queen. So I can see her coming more to the fore. I think at the same time, the royal family are going to have to retrench a bit and think. Okay, what are we going to focus on? We've got our national duties as representatives of the of, of the nation and we've got the all the royal tour the tours that we've got to do to Canada and elsewhere um mm-hmm. uh, with fewer members of, of the family we've got the charity side of things and we've got the military side of things so there's going to have to be some uh some tough decisions made about you know what charities they support and because they all like to give give it you know just like to be the the the, the the figurehead they want to get involved so there's only so many of them and and the balcony at buckingham palace is going to be uh in just a few of them uh, just a few yeah. yeah it really is and so what of harry and megan what do you think private life oh i think they've, they've they're settling in quite nicely for my i'm I've got my spies at Montecito where they live, and um, they're settling in quite nicely. They're they're part of the celebrity circuit. Um, I mean, he's got himself another job. Um, I just, you know, they're building a family. I don't see them racing back to London uh, to join with the royal family anytime Mm -hmm. soon. I think Mm -hmm. it's they've made their decision, and and that's uh, and that's what it's going to be. And I think that. The hoped for reconciliation, I mean, one hopes that William and Harry and, lest we not forget, Harry and his father, the future king, reconcile at some point in the future. But I don't think a five-minute conversation after Prince Philip's uh, internment funeral um, is going to hack it. It's a bit like like a, a love affair gone wrong when, you know, you have that big row and you say things that have been stewing in the back of your mind, mm-hmm. and you once you say them, 
these hurtful things. It's out there. Said them. And when you say to William and your father, you're trapped. You can't unsay that. When right. you talk about there's racism in the royal family, you can't unsay that. When you talk mm-hmm. about my wife didn't wasn't given any me- medical assistance or um, inside the family, you can't you can't unsay these things. So there's you know there's a lot of heavy lifting needs to be done if, yeah. for that to happen. But for the most, and and I'm sure that you know they're all mature individuals and and the, the members of a, an extraordinary family mm-hmm. so now what do you do besides promote this great book elizabeth and margaret the intimate world of the windsor sisters you're working on the crown yeah what else is andrew morton doing well I've when got, will you rest andrew morton <laughs> i'd like to i'd like to rest now. <laughs> <laughs> but they keep giving you good material it just yeah. doesn't stop yeah it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's been the most extraordinary 18 months. For, I mean, and everybody, every, anyone who is interested in the royal family would say the same thing. It's just an extraordinary time in the, in, in the royal, royal family. Yeah. I've got some ideas for future projects, but I've, I've learned to my cost that when I've actually said what I'm going to do, somebody else has nicked the idea. Oh, um, well, we don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. So give, give me a break. I'm going to give you a break. I never, I never told anybody what you're going to do next. So, but I do want you to promise that next time you have something out that you'll touch base with me on the television side, on the podcast side. I'd love to. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Andrew Morton, always such a great treasure and so much fun to talk to. Elizabeth and Margaret, the intimate world of the Windsor sisters, a must read available now. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.